On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we discuss how to bounce back from a down week, the stimulus news, how to hedge properly in this kind of market, the CCIV news, and how to handle swings that are down a lot. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies. And then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. Buy the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about Idex? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome back to Pennies Going In Raw. This episode is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga has our favorite scanners, news alerts. It has everything you need when you trade to ensure you are at the top of your game. But it doesn't just stop at their app, which you can get two weeks free at pro.benzinga.com. That's pro.benzinga.com for two weeks free. Their YouTube channel, every day, Monday through Friday, they have... Power Hour. They have every single day a live stream where they have guests on. They talk about the news in the stock market and just the guests are incredible. They've had Mia Khalifa, great podcasters like Dan and Hugh Henney. They have other great traders like Ripster and and just a bunch of people that you just would love to hear from. So make sure to check it out at youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. Welcome back to Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, February 28th, and I think it's fair to say a lot of people had tough weeks, and uh, I think we should at least try and get everyone recouped. But I think before that, to start, how did you handle this week? I know you're a big swinger, and everyone saw your post that was saying you were down $2 million at one point. What was that like and what was your mentality like just going in for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a question that I've been getting a lot this week. And I think the biggest thing is that it goes back to the scaling point. Obviously, that would have been my biggest red day ever. And the way that I kind of looked at it was, okay, did anything change f- from my strategy from when this amount of money was, you know, let's call it the $20,000 or, or the even the $3,000. And so when, when you have a system in place and you follow that system, it, it could have been $100 million. And as long as I followed my strategy, I, w- I was confident. So obviously, you don't like seeing that. But what I did was I did what I always do, which is on big, massive flushes, I buy the flush. And then once things settle out, which we saw... I guess it was Wednesday was the big flush, and then Thursday we saw we saw like a little pop back. We saw a little recovery. Yeah, I, th- I thought the recovery was a lot better than I expected. But yeah, yeah, and and so you, you bought those dips. Do you do you sell those for a little bit of profit on the yeah. Thursday? Okay, so you sell those for profit on the Thursday. So your main position is still you're probably still down on it a little bit because of the action that went on. But at least you got some extra exactly. cash from it, and the dip wasn't as crazy. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, so I'm, I'm making, I'm actually making a little bit of money from my core position and then I scale back out. So I'm always having constant cash, but the important thing. So you didn't, you didn't feel like you needed to scale out, like get more cash. Like this week didn't scare you at all to that point. No, I mean, I'm we, not trying to fear monger, but <laughs> no, because we understood that this market's playing with fire. I mean, the market from I think it was 2000, 2000 to 2012 had on, only gone up about 15%. Since then, it's up like a hundred plus percent. So we knew that we were playing with fire. And, and, and I think the most important thing is that, you know, I, I get a lot of questions about should I buy this dip? Should I buy this dip? And one of the things is that, that incorporates into swing trading is that you wait for confirmation that the dip is curling. So you don't want to buy anything that you see red because it could keep dipping. But part of my strategy is that say I keep about 40% in cash, maybe 50%, then you know, when I see those dips and I start to see the curl coming back and I see confirmation that, you know, there's a new support in place and that it's curling back up, that's when I hammer it. I hammer my position. Did Thursday though not like do you think that kind of acted like a pump fake because you saw how Friday a lot of that stuff dipped again and did Thursday just not it confirm those supports? I'm not I'm not confirming it for the overall swing. I'm confirming it on the flush. So Wednesday we obviously saw a massive flush. I think most of the small caps were down 30 to 40% and so I'm not buying that initial flush. I want to see it you know, create support and then start to curl back up. And then when it curls back up, what I'm doing is that I'm, and this is my personal strategy, I go heavy. Okay. And then when I see some signs of a new, we talked about range, when I see signs of resistance, that's when I take out what I had already gone in heavy. So for instance, think of it like this. I had 10%, say, say I have 10% of my account into something you know, let's call it stock ABC. On that initial flush, I'm not adding, but then on that confirmation of the curl, you know, sometimes I'll even triple up the position. But what I'm looking for is only like a 10% bounce back. You know, let's call it 10%. It could be more, it could be less. And then that's covering my loss and I'm making a little bit of money. And then I scale out for risk management purposes in case we see something like we did Friday. That's what a lot of people may have been tricked out by. I know I I had people... because. You know, even last week I had mentioned I am heavy cash. I'm just going in and out of things. It just felt right at the time. And thank God, because like selling out of swings when you're down on them and even just like down on the day, it's tough. You feel like, oh my God, could they, this is such a good buy. I wish this could be my first buy and I could buy them all right here. But, and it feels silly to sell them. But at the same time, I think it's it's a good thing to think about is when when would you ever recommend some of these people to start cutting are you would you say just the people that are that are worrying a lot to cut them well, one thing is, is going to be always like mental health. You know, you never really want this stuff to keep you up at night. You know, sometimes the market can naturally just keep you up, but um, you know, you never really want to be just stressed out about a position because that means that you don't trust your strategy. So I think that's number one. And then number two is, is that if you have no cash to play with on the sideline, take this as a 
take this as a learning experience. So if you have 90% of your account inside the market, um, you know, you don't have to sell everything, just scale out a little bit and have some cash on the sideline just in case things do get dirtier. Um, because they, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to the market. You know, I mean, next week we could be at 420. Next week we could be at 320. And, and the, the point of trading is not to, Yes, it's to be reactive and give what the market gives you. So the market's been super bull the last year. So everybody's been super bull. So you could have that strategy of keeping all of your money on the street. But now that we've seen the tide change a little bit, it's important for the people that never have cash on the sideline to have cash on the sideline. So if you have 90% of your account in, you know, take and, and you've taken a 10% cut on your, uh, on your portfolio this week, let's call it, then this is a time for you to say, okay, I five X to my account. Now I took a 10% hit, you know, let me scale out of some positions so that I have some cash on the side. You can always buy back, but you can't keep buying the dip and buying the dip, especially if you're just buying any dip. You know, one of the most important things as swing traders is planning your entries. And, and so I just kind of touched on it was letting it create support and then curl back up or on the bigger timeline, um, on the bigger timeline, planning out your buys, you know, let's call it, you know, the stocks at $50 share, you know, you want to buy at 40 and you want to buy at 36 based on the chart. So, you know, take this as a learning experience. If you have no cash on the sideline. Yeah. I mean, I think just keeping cash on the sideline in, in the mentality that you have differently, the bigger the cash you have on the sideline, the different you see things completely. This was one of the first times ever uh, this week that I've woken up with damn near zero dollars in the market. If anything, it was just like options that are just far out that, you know, no point selling those. They're damn near worthless anyways. But just just waking up and knowing, damn, the because on my widgets, right as I wake up, I, I see spy and I'm like, damn, this looks bad. But at least I don't have to worry. This may be good dip. I mean, this may be just an easier day. So if you're really struggling whenever you wake up, you, you're scared, you're waking up to red every morning and it's really just affecting your mentality. I think that is definitely the time to think about scaling back without a doubt. Because I mean, right now, I mean, we mentioned it last week. That was like the first week the market wasn't just piss missling upwards. Yeah. And then this week, you know, you, you saw what happened. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine having a ton of money in the market this week. I mean, when I saw you, whenever you messaged me and you're like, are you, are you down? And I was like, oh, a little bit. And you sent me how much you were down. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is that having that process, I had finished the day well, down speaking. Yeah, no, no. I, before you get into that, speaking yeah. of process, could you walk us through how you went from down 2 million to down a hundred thousand or down fifty thousand, whatever it was, because I mean that is quite a recovery. Yeah. So I mean, part of it was like I said, is that is that you know it kind of comes down to knowing the market a little bit. So when when I saw the confirmation, you know, I went heavy across the board. That I wasn't going to hold my position, so I'd gone from like fifty three percent cash to on margin 
for like 10%. And I, we always say not to go on margin, but this is, you know, when I see confirmation, I'm hammering it. Drastic times call for drastic measures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at this point, um, you know, I've been through, you know, things of this nature a little bit. So, so I trust my strategy. So when I saw that, I hammer it. And then, like I said, is that I'm not looking to hold all that because again, the market could go down lower. So, you know, the, it flushes, it gets confirmation. I hammer it. And then, you know, we saw Thursday, we saw Thursday, we saw a great bounce back and, uh, and I was out and now I'm back to my core position. And so I'm always making a little bit of money, but I'm always having cash on the sideline. I think that's the most important thing. Something like Vissel. Vissel is coming close to its market cap to how much money they have on the street. I, I want Vissel to go lower because that just gives us a huge opportunity. You know, instead of making money from three to six, if I can get two to four, I mean, that doubles my money. And I, you know, I know what it's worth. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, because I know everyone's going to be responding, uh, yeah, three to six doubles your money too. Yeah. But two to four, you can buy a lot more at two than you can at three. Exactly. Exactly. And another thing to think about, you said one thing that was super important was keeping money on the side. But another thing about your story of Wednesday is you're primarily a swing trader, but you had to, you know, word to the avatar, master, master all elements. You had to, you had to day trade to basically get (laughs) that back. You, you loaded the dip, you used technical analysis and, and, Basically, you day traded. And I know you even mentioned on Friday that you were just trading spy options mostly that day. Yeah. And even even those days, I was trading Tesla and spy options. And, you know, when I'm good at options, I'm good. And when I'm piss poor, I'm piss poor. So that had definitely helped um, bring me back. I had made a good chunk on, on spy and Tesla. Yeah. But I, I think that's such a big thing is just knowing just different strategies. I mean, when swinging's working, swinging's working. And look, yeah. when it's not, you know, it's not. And, and on a day where, like he said, swings drop 25, 30%, being able to day trade and knowing when the dip is in. Cause I think the, the biggest dip was actually like 530 Eastern time. It dropped down to like what, 381 or 370, just something way lower. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, the, the dip was massive. I mean, I, I think UWMC went down to 670 or something, just baloney low. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I think that, that you brought up a really good point. And if you guys are newer, because obviously so many different traders have entered the market, we had touched on it, but when I, am down on a position, you know, I look at it market tuition, I go back and see what could I have done better. And and sometimes you sometimes you just can't. You know, sometimes you just look back and you're like, I wouldn't have done anything differently in hindsight. And that's okay. This game has no ceiling on your income because there's no floor. And and I think that that's really important. I see a lot of people beating themselves up and sometimes it just is what it is. You know, sometimes you just catch the market at the wrong time. Um, and, and that's why really starting out with beer money, you know, Willie meets all shout out to him because um, he sent me a really nice message um, that because of August, I think it was last year, or even this August, he was ready for this. And he, he, at that time, he didn't have tons of money on the sideline and he understood the difference between pushing it when you have the hot hand and when, when things aren't hot, keeping 40, 50% of cash on the sideline. Yeah. And not, I, I credit August yeah. and a little bit of, you know, September a lot for knowing how to handle this one. That's exactly why I kept saying I am heavy cash because August was a mixture of things. It was not only just 
bad downchin for pennies, but also uh, the one SPAC everyone was in, SPAQ, which is now Fisker, was was down. And it was going down, down, down. And everyone was adding dip, adding dip. I mean, you see it pay off now. It hit, what, $27 yeah. or maybe 30 I mean, you're seeing it pay off now. Great long-term swing. It dipped down to eight. But, I mean, I didn't want to get caught in a lot of these SPAC downtrends that just kept dipping and dipping and dipping. And that's why I finally said, hey, I've got to go full cash. But this is, that's me. And yeah, you know, I, I do plan on re-entering. I really would like to re-enter. And that's kind of how I'm I'm playing these dips throughout, like, you know, my Roth or like uh, my longer term account. Hey, Roth, there we go. Yeah. And last thing, you know, before we move on, if this is your first penny market cycle, okay, what I want you to do is one, learn from this. Okay. When I, I used to be the kind of guy that used to keep 99% of my cash until something like this happened to me. And guess what? I looked back at my account and I said, Hey, you know what? I'm still up 400% inside the last year, you know? So even though this, I think I had, at the time I had taken like a 22% hit on my account and I was like, okay, you know what? I got punched in the face, but I, I did pretty damn good. So learn from this so that next time when we, because August will probably, you know, let's say that we do see a bigger correction inside the future or, you know, another slow month like August. Now, you know, the value of having money on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely see what you're saying there. And yeah, I think um, that that'll be good for now, but I think it's a good time to move into like what's next, you know? Yeah, Definitely. And I think what's next or the biggest thing that's what's next is the stimulus checks uh, that the news came out. They passed it one point nine trillion dollars, fourteen hundred dollars for, you know, the great American people um, <clears throat> it is this has got to be good news for spy, right? You know, you would think that. But l- let me walk you down a path, Dan. OK, the market for last year has essentially doubled from the lows. Okay. Why? Because the everybody says because the Fed's pumping money, because, you know, everybody, because that huge dip, that huge dip, everyone was buying, you know, now there's more money in the market, things of that nature. The other thing that the market's been running on is stim news, is the waiting for this massive stim news. First it was five trillion, then we're looking at, you know, a few billion, things of that nature. Now we finally got it. So think about this question. What else does the market have to run on? Uh, Well, I was hoping it'd be this stimulus news. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that is this going to be a sell the news event? I think there's a chance that it might be. You know, we talked about SPY is sitting right at support. Well, one one big thing. Yeah, a lot of sell the news is always like a big thing in stocks. But most news doesn't give every trader over a thousand dollars so wouldn't this money still get rotated into the market still good news for what meme stocks uh-huh <laughs> i see that's the thing is that most traders feel they're like oh man like if everybody adds a thousand dollars hello the market is run by 80 percent of algos it doesn't matter if everybody added a hundred grand these algorithms are way stronger and that's the difference between traders and people that understand the market. Okay. It doesn't matter if everybody added all of any money that they had when on margin, et cetera, it can, it'll only reflect the market for so long before the algorithms take over and they're 80% of the market. So we would have to essentially 
Okay, essentially the amount of money that's inside the market by retail right now would have to 5x and I don't think that's going to do it on $1,000. Yeah, so um, it'll definitely be interesting to see. Uh, I think that is a Alex Jones conspiracy theory (laughs) type of uh, thought process behind it. But that is definitely like a crazy way to think that that everyone getting all this money is going to be sell the news. Do you think, I think... It may go heavy into the the meme stocks. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, I, I personally, I think it's going to be two different scenarios. One scenario, because again, we're sitting on support. So this is a pivotal week for SPY. There's no doubt about it. This is a pivotal week for SPY. Right now, we're sitting inside a range of about 360 to 400. And until it breaks one way or the other, where we're sitting right now, about 380 is, um, is pivotal. So it, I see two different scenarios. One, the algos say, okay, fine. Last week was tough enough. Let's go to 420. Or they view it as sell the news and we're at 360 in in no time at all. I would say like, you know, maximum two weeks. Because again, we're sitting at support. So this support could either be a launch pad or this could be, you know, this could be the floor. Uh, And I think it's going to really depend how the market views this stimulus news. If all this buying pressure comes in, then fine, we'll be at 420. But if, if they view this as a sell the news event then you, because because again you know you have to expect the unexpected that's the most important thing with the market whatever you expect it to do is usually not what it happens and and it took me a long time to realize that um you know i mean we thought that we thought that the great crash was coming you know that that the end of the year by the end of the year spy would be at like 100 what happened yeah did we see a dip yes we saw a dip and then we saw a double from there. And so I think it's really important that, you know, you have to keep in mind, let's see what the out, how the market takes it, because the market could take this as a bad sign and, and, you know, that the market doesn't have anything else to run on. Or Biden is already talking about another stimulus coming soon. So the market could view this as a great thing and we could, you know, be at over 400 very soon. And it's interesting you kind of talk about, you know, expect the unexpected. Like if it does crash or takes a dip or, you know, even just a pullback or even just has a shaky week like it did this week and I'm overexposed, uh, like I feel like hedging is such an important thing. What are some ways to kind of prevent losing 30% like I hear so many people like had an issue with this week? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we can, you know, it really, hedging, you have to ask yourself, what am I hedging? For instance, I know traders who, let's take me for example, I trade primarily small caps. With those small caps, you know, we saw small caps, some small caps go down 50, 60% this week. And SPY was only down 5%. Even if I went all in on SPY puts, it, it probably would not hedge against my exposure on the small cap side. So what you need to ask yourself is a really important question is what if you went all in on spy puts, then what money would you have had to in the small caps to begin with? Well, that's what I mean. When I mean all in, I mean, I'm I'm just playing. That was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I should have said, you know, the cash that I have left, but I'm just, I'm just playing around. Yeah. um, But so, yeah. So if your small cap exposure is massive, you're not going to hedge with spy puts. Now, First, I'm going to talk about the if you have a 
bigger portfolio because this is important for even even if you're not a trader, but if you're investing. For my parents, um, they have what's called that they have a long term portfolio, and then they also have an entire portfolio just for hedging. So what this means is is that their one portfolio is purely long bias based. That means that they're only waiting for these things to go up. But because they don't want to get screwed if another 2008 or a 29 comes, something like that, what they do is, is that they hedge with an entire portfolio. It's, it's only about a tenth of the size of the other portfolio, but that portfolio is always hedged. So they do spy puts and VIX calls, and all they do is that they constantly roll them, but they do a spread. So when you do a spread, you can, you can you know, what you can do is with the spread is that you can basically... <clears throat> subtract theta if you do it right by doing it two by one. And that's a little more complex, but basically think of it like this, is that they just keep rolling the hedge so that eventually if something ever does happen, like the market gets pulled or a rug pull like last March, then what will happen is that that hedging portfolio will essentially 10x. So right now they're losing very, very little money inside um, inside the hedging portfolio. But if the rug ever gets pulled, that'll ever 10x. So even if the other portfolio, let's say, goes to zero, then they're still going to be at the same amount of money. But inside their long-term portfolio, they're never, because of the way that it's diversified, most of those stocks are blue chips. So you know, we're probably looking at, at worst, a 70% pool on the blue chip side, but the other account will at least 10x. So that's how you can kind of see that they'll still make money, even though the other portfolio is down 70%. That's how you hedge on the long side, okay, on using blue chips. Now, as small cap, as primarily small cap traders, we cannot do that same because you can't just hedge against CCIV, not directly. So what you can buy puts. Yeah, you can buy. Yeah. So against your long position, you can buy puts, which is a really good example of how you can do that. So if you're heavily invested inside a few stocks and they have options, what you can do is that let's say that you have um, 15% of your account inside common stock, you know, long, then what you can do is that on the put side, you can buy a few dated puts and you can do a spread. Now, if you guys are wondering what spread is, we talked, we touched on it inside the options podcast, but maybe something that we can do next week or the week after is we can do an options two podcast and go really more into depth into spreads. But what you can do is, is that let's say that you have 15% of your account and exposure to the long side, you know, so you're overexposed, you know, that's a pretty big position. You can just buying and just buying dated puts will be fine. So especially if you have, if you're not investing in this company and you have, let's say like a sell date, for instance, CCIV, let's say that you wanted to sell worst case scenario a week after the merger. Then what you do is that if you bought puts for, let's say March, mid-March puts, then that would give you enough time exposure so that what's the chance that they, you know, they could expire worthless, but if they expire worthless, um, you know, and they just keep going down, then what that means is your core position's doing all right. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing that you want to look at is one, what's the IV <clears throat> on them? Okay, so so as a rule of thumb for newer traders, I would suggest, okay, and this is something that is still that I follow, is that <clears throat> not going for vol over 120, because that means that you're gonna paying for them at a premium. So what that means is that what kind of what we saw with GME is that the stock of GME was going down. 
but so were the puts. And that was because the vol was way too high. They were trading inside the thousands. So as a rule of thumb, if you're trading any kind of option, you're new and don't trade anything with a vol of over 120. I, whenever I do this hedging, I mean, I, everyone knows I like to keep things simple, but I, I know, I know a lot about the details and a lot of things, but I feel like if I buy a SPAC at $10, and it's 10% of my portfolio, why shouldn't I do 1% of my portfolio or 10% of the position in just a $7.50 put or $8 put two months out? Why, like, is that not, I mean, I feel like a lot of times you can kind of just judge a lot of these just by looking at to see how, how cheap they are compared to the other puts in the option chain. Yeah, no, definitely. That That's a really good point. And, and there's a few things that, that come into the options. And if you guys haven't listened to the options podcast yet, that's episode 10. It's crazy to think that that was 20 episodes ago. Um, but Long ass time. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, but when why you don't want to do that is based on a few things. One is that SPACs, because there are limited options, say they're every once a month or every other month, the vol on them is super high. So what this means is that if it's trading at like a 200 vol, then it's trading at a premium. So for instance, <clears throat> if the stock, I mean, if the option should be $2, it's trading at $4, that's a premium. So like we saw with GME, the stock was going down, but the puts were also going down. That's because the vol was so high on them. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these like longer term swings, though, I don't think the IV and everything, I don't think that's going to play as much of a role into it. Just because, I mean, yeah, the first day it gets called, or but if you wait a couple days, I mean, these puts get and calls get just extremely cheap. I, I've actually considered, just so I'm not just watching SPACs go down every day, just buying some calls after the merge, some puts after the merger and after a dip, uh, just buying calls again. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, I mean, you're effectively, I mean, that's a really good strategy. And the perfect hedging strategy for something like CCIV would be to have a low delta, a low vol, and buy it, you know, and have a sell date that you kind of want to start to scale out the position. CCIV, if you wanted to sell by by the end of February, then you would have on puts for March because if they expire worthless, then who cares because your core position is just absolutely ripping. But in the event that something happens, like we did see with CCIV, where the stock drops 50%, well, you know, I mean, you're going to bank on both sides. You know, hopefully you can limit your risk on the long side and get out and then capitalize on those puts. And then you're winning on both sides. Yeah, I think maybe not using CCIV as an example for right now, because I, I do want to get into CCIV after this. But yeah. what other ways besides just buying puts in the market we're kind of in right now is there to hedge yourself? Yeah. So another really good way to hedge yourself, and, and a lot of people don't think about this, but we talk about it, is having cash because you can buy puts against the Russell and, and other things like that. And, and you can buy VIX calls, but the VIX went to 26. So that really doesn't matter for small caps. But having cash on the sideline is another way to hedge yourself because if it goes down, and again, we talk about it, is that if nothing has changed, then once the chart is confirmed that it's starting to curl back up, buy the dip. And that's it. That's another way to hedge yourself. And then the final way to hedge yourself is if you're sector heavy. So what this means is that if you, uh, what was it, the big weed craze this, this week? 
or I mean, two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. Everyone was in electric vehicles, and yeah. now everyone's in weed and meme stocks. So. Yeah, electric vehicles, weed stocks, stuff like that. If you're if you're sector heavy, then another way to hedge yourself is the the on is the you know the uncorrelation. So, for instance, um, you know, find a sector that as the sector goes up, the other sector goes down. And what you can do is is that so when EVs were were at their highs or whatever, if you found the sector that was correlated against that, then you could have bought that at the low. So if EVs all started to get the air thrown out of them and come down, this sector would go up. And so, you know, we see that a lot of times with like the large caps and especially with the overall market, but those sectors are still inside small caps. Yeah. And and one thing I really liked is how you said just having a bunch of cash is a good way to hedge yourself because, you know, in tough times, they say the rich get richer, the poor get poor. And it's because like the rich are buying the dip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we trade and, you know, a lot of people that listen to our podcast primarily trade small caps and small caps. Small caps took are, a 35, 40% pullback. Exactly. And they will do that twice a year minimum. So that's something to really keep in mind. Um, you know, that's why we always talk about, you know, it, why we always want cash on the sideline. And and I feel like, I feel like this one, it happened so much faster. Like in August, like I, I, I was holding a lot of penny stocks or fresh out the penny game, um, just turned a dollar. And I think about ones like SXTC went from like 60 to 22 cents over the course of two to three months. And just all these stocks I was in, I was just watching. And, and that's one of the things that I was like, okay, I'm not getting caught in this downtrend again. And that's why I, I wanted to cut them. But it was like, it was honestly impressive how fast these small caps dropped this week, as opposed to like what even what we experienced in like August. Like it gave you no time. Yeah, yeah. This was kind of like it. we talk. I knew, I mean, I know I talk about this a lot, but kind of like the weeds in 2017 through the 2018, we kind of saw something similar. And I think we mentioned it on the algo episode, but we saw a clear tape change. And um, and that and ever since then, I mean, you know, the small caps have just been down, but. You know, we talked about spy, we talked about hedging, we talked about small caps. Something that I want to touch on is that it, it, just like we we were kind of seeing the sentiment change from the long side to the short side, now we're seeing everybody complain about small caps, which is the social sentiment. We talked about it, but when everyone's long, you know, that that's when we're kind of scared. And when everyone's short, that's when we're kind of thinking long. It, the the Warren Buffett uh, phrase, you know, buy the fear, sell the greed. Well, now everybody's, you know, every, now that everything's down 50%, everybody's really thinking. Uh, wait, I thought the Warren Buffett uh, quote was, buy the dip, uh, f- friend. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's the other one that he's famous for. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. He must have said this one later. It's super like, <laughs> like probably, it was probably before 2013 would have definitely gotten canceled for saying it, you know, today. But, you know, <laughs> I, I have seen it on the internet. I know he said it. So. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, but so I think that's a really good point. Now that we're starting to see everybody complain about small caps, now that they're down 50%, that's usually when I start to look long. You know, I still think that we have a little bit more blood in the water. But the theory that I'm kind of thinking is that SPY is going to be sell the news. And when SPY starts to go into a downtrend, or, or not even a downtrend, but a pullback, um, Everybody flees to small caps. So this kind of lines up with what we're seeing. You know, I think we still have a few days of blood inside the small caps, but if the market goes down and small caps, you know, let's say take another like 10% hit, then 
I, you know, it, the, the stars could align to where people start to flee to small caps and small caps start to really go again. Yeah. I mean, you even think about like just a year ago, if spy was going down, it seemed like small caps were skyrocketing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah exactly. People make the best money in small caps in, in 2008. And that's because nobody wanted to touch um, the market. So this kind of could set up to be a perfect scenario for small caps. You know, small caps see this large pullback and then all of a sudden people start to flee to small caps. And, um, you know, now, now I do think that small caps were on steroids, uh, for the last like eight months. And, and I don't necessarily want to see that kind of movement. I don't want to wake up to 5,000% runners because we'll be inside the same situation. I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but we'll be inside the same situation. You know, now, now there's stocks underneath a dollar and things of that nature. But if we go back to that insanity, then, um, then we won't then we'll be inside the same situation that we were three weeks ago. So I'd like to see small caps come back and I would like to, you know, grab the dips. And then I would like to see the small caps specifically start to crawl back up and uh, start to see volume really come in. Just keep that in mind that if the market's going down more and you think that it's bad for the small caps, it that that's not necessarily true. Yeah. And okay, well, I think that is a good way to kind of finish up hedging. But transitioning from hedging, we touched on it. Uh, when, I mean, it was such a big week last week. It almost seems like this got brushed under the rug, but we won't let it. CCIV announced its merger with Lucid Motors. It went down from, what, $62 to a low of around 26 or 27 It's now trading in like a 31 range. Personally, I had puts and people hated me for it. My puts were just in case the rumor fell through uh, or if the merger fell through and Lucid was like, nah, but Lucid was like, yes, and, and they still hit. So what do you think caused that? Why was it such a sell the news event? And um, yeah, no, I mean, like, it's crazy. And yeah, I mean, Nicola vibes. <clears throat> yeah. So it's actually like, I like the company. I think the company's fantastic, but think about it this way. Okay. The brand new video game comes out, but there's only 400, let's call it, okay? And people were saying that this is going to be the best video game ever, okay? Well, everybody's bidding up the pre-order sales, and eventually it comes out, and people are like, oh, wait, why did I just pay $40 for this when this thing's worth 25 And then all of a sudden, people start selling and they're like, Oh my God, like this is, this is not what I thought it was. And let me see what kind of money I can get back, you know, because the original starting price was $10. So that's kind of how we saw with CCIV. CCIV. Okay. I like the company lucid. I think they're, they're going to be a good company inside the future. But right now people were paying for a valuation that was five times what it should be. I mean, realistically, the stock should be trading at about, I would say, 17 to 23 based on the valuation. Now, so, so 27 is not, is not, or even 30 is not, you know, super far off, but 50 to 60, that's, that's a big valuation. And people realized what the valuation was. And I think it was just a, just a huge, like everyone trying to get out at the same time. And that's really what, and also the other thing is that the stock was up massive inside the last like three months. So when that happens, people start to get to a point to where the second that stops going up, people just fully. Yeah, they they weren't used to uh, they weren't used to it ever ever doing anything except going straight upwards. Exactly. 
Yeah, but I mean, like, it's definitely something crazy. I mean, we we definitely threw out some warnings. Hopefully, you know, some people took them or even hedged themselves. Uh, Sorry, we got to the hedging part a little late. Um, (laughs) But with that being said, been taking some heat, Hugh. Your swing suck. (laughs) So here here's a tweet. And I think this tweet is a good transition into it is um, I want to hear what an average trader should do if they are deep in companies they are swing trading and have conviction in, but are watching everything fall like this past week. I personally held and lost 28%. I never set mental stops because I like the companies. Um, So a few, uh, like the TRCH and the VISLs, not doing hot. A lot of the SPACs have been not doing hot for a while. To a point where, you know, we even mentioned maybe, you know, cut some, maybe cut them all. Trade your plan. But with that being said, how are you going to handle the swings that are down? Yeah, I think this week was a huge wake up call to most traders that, hey, you know, stocks don't always just go up. And and for me, you know, a lot of people ask, like, you know, how do I keep cool during this time? Like I said, people that have been swinging for a long time. I, I was never read on positions until the catalyst came. Now, even something like TRCH, I'm up like 50 cents a share. Um, and that's even. No, you were red on, you were never green on it until the catalyst. Exactly. Came. Yeah. 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 That's what I meant. Yeah. On the swings, you know, I was never green until, until the catalyst came. Now, you know, I, at one point on TRCH, I think we were up like 300% or something. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, I should probably put in some of my bio. What waterfalls up is going to waterfall down. Um, and now I've seen just unrealized gains just freaking just go out the door. I guess that's, that's kind of, that's kind of like the times that we're in. But that being said, we're still green on every single swing. And I think that I think, or I think, you know, I think I'm down in comms and this. Well, I mean, you had, but you have to think like what, what for the people that aren't green on the swings. So if you're not green, I think, and if you purely only take calls from Twitter, I think that it's important for you to understand that you are going to get in before other people. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you don't have, if you don't have hotkeys or, or, you know, you're not doing any research, um, then you're going to be, you're not getting in before other people. And I think that it's really important to take a breather and, you know, really do DD. Um, you know, I, screaming from the top of the hill that the merger is uh, four weeks away, three to four weeks away. Um, now, if you are not green, there's something, and, and there's two different scenarios. You're not green, but you have a lot of cash. That's fantastic. Because then what you're going to do is that you're going to wait for your stock to come down, get support and start to curl back up. And how you do that is go back to the technical analysis podcast, the episode, pull up a chart and you're going to sit there and you're going to identify on your swings, support and resistance. Now that's for the people that have cash. If you don't have cash, then what you're going to do is you're going to take off. You're going to make sure that you have 55 to 60% of cash from here on out. Okay. Those are the rules. Okay. Because that's how you're going to hedge yourself against things like this. Okay. And then what you're going to do is that you're going to evaluate everything and you're going to say, okay, what's my opportunity cost? What's my risk? What's my why? And what's my reward? Okay. But the last is going to be your reward because everybody always wants to think about what their reward is, but nobody ever wants to think about their risk. Okay. Because there is risk involved with 
anything inside the stock market, anything, anything and everything. So let's go through. Now, this one comes, okay? I'm licking my chops because, especially with Bissell, because Bissell's now getting to a point to where their market cap is going to be the same as the amount of cash that they have in hand. Let's say that again. Bissell's getting to a point to where they're having the amount of cash on hand that is equal to their market cap. Okay, all they have to do is go down like another 20 cents or something, and they're right there. So, you know, I'm licking my chops. And and I think that, you know, something that something that we've been accustomed to is that chasers have been rewarded inside this market. Okay. As a swing trader, okay, you have to understand that everything is weeks out, if not months out. Who knows? TRCH, even though the CEO of Meta tweeted that they have 48% of the vote, that's great. But guess what? If the merger doesn't go through, TRCH isn't worth $2 a share. And that's really important to keep in mind is that you have to evaluate the DD, okay? You have to evaluate your DD. You have to evaluate your why. You have to see what your risk is. So right now, TRCH is trying to curl. If it starts to break out, it can break out quick. But again, again, okay, chasers have been rewarded for the last year. And if you're a chaser, okay, we pleaded with you that if you 5X to your account the day that you took a 10% hit to start to reevaluate your, your positioning. Now, I do think that small caps are getting to a point to where all of the, lack for a better word, all of the newbies are out. And that's usually when it's the time to buy. Um, you know, now that we're seeing the most pain in the shortest amount of time, and now we're also seeing spy sit at support, small caps could be close to getting to a point to where the entire market is at a point to where it can start to curl back up. I think there was only like three stocks, three small caps, like green on Friday or something. You know, so uh, DYNT had, had news, went up 100% and ended like up three percent. So I think it's important to to understand that that when small caps go, they go. When small caps pull back, they pull back. And if this is your first market rotation, take this and Willie Meets also again, shout out to him. Uh, this is your first market rotation that you've seen. This will happen twice a year. This will happen twice a year. And every few years it'll happen in a week like we're seeing now. So TRCH, you know, I think it's important TRCH, Vissel, comms, ONTX, ONTX. I have emails out to the investor relations. Right now it's down, you know, because of the market and because of reverse split. I have emails out to the investor relations because I think that they will, but I want to get confirmation that they'll cancel the reverse split because, you know, they should. That's what they should do. Um, they should cancel the reverse split. And, and that's what we need to start gearing again. So if you're not green, Wait for it to come. I'm talking about all swings. If you're not green, wait for it to come down and support. Confirm. And if you want to kind of do what I did on Wednesday and Thursday and trade around a core position, this will get you a little bit of cash. But then also, um, you know, then also you can feel better about your position when you when you don't know anything about, you know, why you're buying, what's your risk, things of that nature. Any red that you see, you're going to be scared. Rightfully so. I get that. But when you come into swings, or even you know, if you're a day trader and you come into the day trade with a plan, knowing your why, knowing your risk, knowing your reward, what's your stop loss? You can you physically feel better. Yeah, and I feel like if 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 a dip scares you, you either a don't know enough about it, yeah. b don't have conviction in it or C, have way too much of your money in it. 
Exactly. Exactly. Here's the thing. One stock should never blow you up. And one stock should, <clears throat> uh, you know, we all get, we all get punched inside the face um, with different stocks. Like for instance, you know, if, if you know, any, at any time, one of these small caps could come out with a short report or a fraud case or, or Hell, ONT. I mean, we're, we're talking about ONTX right now, just six months ago, it dropped 70% in 10 minutes. So yeah, Exactly, exactly. So I think it's really important that we keep these things in mind. Um, you know, we, like I said, chases have been rewarded, but now that we're starting to come back to reality here, um, you know, now that we're back to reality, uh, and, you know, it's time to pay, you know, the market said, I'm taking my tuition. I think we literally said it last week that the market hasn't taken any market tuition. Um, and this week it certainly did. So mind your risk. Know what you're swinging. Know why you're swinging. Or you, same thing for day trades. Why are you day trading it? What is your edge? You know, you have to ask yourself, why am I in this stock? What is my edge on this stock? Or am I just in this stock to be in this stock? And, and if you can't answer the questions that we just talked about, it, it's time to go back to the strategy drawing board. Yep. Okay. And to the last segment of this episode, it's going to be Q&A. We haven't done this in Sweet. a while, so it should be fun. And we're going to try and keep each of them to around two to three minutes apiece. So should it be nice, concise little answers? <laughs> so the first one is from The Little Dog. And he asked, how did you know to go mainly cash before the drop? Did you sell in pre-market before the major cash? Or did you cash out on the jump after the first dip before second? Uh, for that one, it, I mentioned it last week that I was down to... Uh, that I was down to around 25% in position. So I had 75% cash uh, just due to how shaky the market started to seem. Um, it was the first week that it didn't go straight up. And, you know, SPACs were one of the biggest things taking me down. I said, I don't want to get caught in another August. So I turned a bunch and then uh, we saw, you know, two or Wednesday or whatever happened. And by that time, I had already taken out a little bit more cash just on some pops. So uh, I yeah. guess, you know, it, it was a mixture of, of, you know, luck and not wanting to get caught in a downtrend. Yeah. And I think that this is a really good time to go back to that algo episode that we did. Um, you know, we, I, I literally remember exactly what we said. We saw a clear tape change inside, um, you know, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, two weeks ago. And ever since then things have been hurting. And so I think that that was, I thought that that was going to be primarily for the chasers and the day traders. I did not expect this for the small caps, but you know, I mean, I've been 50%, 50, 60% cash, uh, since really September. And that just comes down to my strategy. You know, I, I don't really necessarily hedge my positions, but how I hedge is having cash on the sideline and having a lot of cash on the sideline. Unless we see a massive drawdown inside the market, I'll probably always have minimum 35, 40% in cash. Okay. When you don't have the funds to get in and out of trades frequently due to PDT, what strategies to deploy in this type of environment by Raider785? I think cash account is uh, definitely a good way to go um, or just just swinging. Uh, I think that those are your only two options. Well, yeah. And the other option is to open up with multiple brokers and spread your money around. Oh, yeah. And so this will give you, you know, if you have three brokers, this gives you, uh, what is it? It's a uh, nine. Nine day trades. Yeah. So you get nine day trades. And uh, so that's, that's if you're a day trader. Um, you know, 
I used to use, I, I used to be much more risky when I had a smaller account and I was all for the maximum growth, but also noting that it was maximum risk because, you know, if I had put 30% of my account into, into a uh, stock and that stock took a 50% hit, then that was 15% of my portfolio. So I think it really depends on your strategy, um, how close you are to PDT. If you're far away and you're a day trader, I would open up three accounts. If you are, really close, then maybe, you know, you start really thinking about a strategy for after PDT. Something to note, guys, is that, you know, getting over that 25K mark is a huge accomplishment. And and I don't want to take anything away from that. But one of the biggest things for traders is that they get over PDT and within a week or two, they're back underneath 20,000. And that's because you had a process that worked and you leaned away from that process. So if I were you guys, I would be creating, um, I would be creating strategies for that don't matter if you have PDT or not. You know, if you're a swinger, you're a swinger. Okay. Uh, I love red velvet <clears throat> asked when being down by a lot on one main position, would you recommend buying the dip until the money run out or put some money on a new position as to not lock money in one stock? Yes. Do not ever now. Yeah. Do not, <laughs> do not keep adding until your money goes zero. That's not yeah. a good idea. And we haven't said this saying in a while, but start with beer money. If you guys are asking that kind of a question, I would definitely think about starting, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, only having a thousand dollars inside your account. Um, because right now we're seeing new traders coming to the market with 10 grand and five exit. And, you know, someone added me inside the discord the other day and said, um, and said, Hey, you, you know, thanks for all your help. Like, uh, you know, I turned 10 grand to 50 K like, you know, now, now I'm rich. And I was like, I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he showed me his account and it was literally opened uh, January 1st. So we're seeing a lot of that. But as we come back to reality, it's it's important to note that you should start with beer money, um, you know, something small. But specifically to answer your question, because I don't want to leave you out, out high and dry, is, you know, again, wait for it to come, identify your support and resistance, wait for it to come down to support, always have cash, always, that's not a question, always have cash, no margin, wait for it to come down. And then once it bounces off support and curls over that smaller resistance, that's when you can add, but don't just add every dip because it can keep dipping. Okay. All of this stuff can keep dipping. You need confirmation that it's curling back up and not just a little curl. You need confirmation that it's broken resistance to the upside. Okay. Mr. Anderson asks, how to know when spy will bounce versus keep dropping? And whenever you find out, let me know. Because uh, I think you need a crystal ball and yeah. hella good charting skills. Yeah. Same thing, guys. Okay. Trading is all about being reactive. Okay. One of the biggest things why 10,000 hedge funds blew up inside 2008 was because they kept buying the dip. Okay. And they weren't waiting for confirmation. Okay. Spy, it's sitting at support right now. Now, am I buying this dip? No. Do I think that this is a viable dip? Potentially. But until we get over, you know, I, I don't have the chart pulled up in front of me, but until we get over that smaller resistance at 385, who knows? You know, it's 360 or 385 right now, in my opinion. So until it gets underneath that 385, we don't know. And even once it gets over 385, that's just a confirmation. That's not an all in, you know, let's go to 420. Uh, so just like we said with, with your swings or even your day trades, identify support. And then when it comes down and it starts to bounce, wait for the confirmation overneath the resistance point. B-Rip asks, explain if you are red on a swing that you believe in, would you sell and not be able to rebuy or hold through the dip? I think that's a position sizing. 
yeah, that that's all that's all about how much cash you have, how much of your position, and also how again, do you, do you know about your DD? Okay, sometimes these sometimes swings are freaking fantastic because of the market, and sometimes they downright suck because the market sucks. That's something that you have to ask yourself. What's my risk? Well, why am I swinging this? What's my reward? Where's the support and resistance? There, you know, you got to ask all yourself these questions. What to look for in the market to tell you in a good time to re-enter long swings. For example, spy not dropping below uptrend lines and how to just generally avoid bull traps uh, due to market weakness. Yep, same thing. So uh, it comes down, spy comes down to support. It starts to crawl back up. It gets underneath that first resistance point. That's when you have your confirmation. Now, if the way to tell a bull trap is it, nobody ever tells a bull trap. That's that's why it's called a bull trap or even a bear trap. But that's when you start to mind your risk. So if it comes into that support, it starts to bounce. It gets underneath that resistance point, and then all of a sudden you're seeing signs that it's not going to keep above that resistance point. Fine. You know, then you start to scale out and you say, okay, this was, this was a bull trap. It's not holding above this resistance line and mind your risk. So then instead of now you've averaged down, you have less cash on the sideline and it keeps dropping. Instead, just take the 1% hit or the 2% hit and, and keep moving. Yeah. Okay. Next. Dr. Robot asks, typical allotment of cash percent to have set aside. Hugh, since you do more long swings, can you touch on how you scale in and out around your core position? Uh, I know you mentioned your full thing a little earlier, but I guess if you want to do like a general, like you just wait for the dip, you wait for the confirmation, you enter, and then you, you sell at resistance again? Yeah, uh, not necessarily. So now it's starting to get to a point to where it's more feeling based. And that's, uh, you know, that we, we can go back to the personality of stocks. Um, but for newer traders, I, I would be as systematic as possible because you're not going to have that, you know, that sixth sense. And, uh, you know, Zach Morris has that sixth sense. You know, a lot of, a lot of, Good traders have that sixth sense, but until you get to that point, you need to have a systematic approach. And I think the best systematic approach, especially if you're swing trading, is um, is to have minimum 35 to 40% cash at all times. This um, ensures that even if things go to hell in your entire portfolio, you know, Amazon goes to zero, Walmart goes to zero, this one goes to zero, your entire portfolio goes to zero, you have something there. You know, something else to keep in mind, guys, the stock market has never not made a new high. Think about that. The stock market has never not made a new high. So it's written to the long side. Your portfolio is never going to go to zero, but it's all about managing your positions. So intraday, sure, I'll go above. I think I said Wednesday, you know, I was actually on margin for a minute, but at the end of the day, if if you're supposed to be 40% cash, you make it happen. Okay, three more questions. Uh, I'll go for the fun one first for us. Cabaret asks, regarding weekend learning and lifestyle, and then they provide an A, B, C. A, DD learning and charting. B, trade crypto on the weekend, stay good with technicals. C, family, friends, and hobbies. Which? In other words, after an ugly market week, should you double down or get away on the weekend? I uh, I played a lot of golf with friends this weekend, uh, support night. I drank a little. I went out. I went out on Friday. I haven't I haven't looked at stocks at all. 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little different because uh, I like to, I like to go over everything and I like to see where I went wrong. Um, you know, what I think is going to happen. So for me, per, but if, but on the days where I get frustrated, I go for long walks and that's because I, I can't sit in front of the screen try and revenge trade or things of that nature because I just get so frustrated with myself and it's, and it's not, um, it, I don't get angry. I just get frustrated because I look back and I'm like, fuck, like I should have done that. I should have done this. You know, why didn't I do this? This was a clear sign, uh, to do this. This was a clear sign to, to, to cut that spy option, you know, things of that nature. Um, so I do like to do it, but the second that I get frustrated and the second that I'm not making headway inside the learning, that's when I go for a long walk and I shut down the screens and, and, and I take a day or two or sometimes hell I'll take a week. But again, don't double down if don't double down. This was one of those weeks where I I was like, I knew I felt that there were so many weeks in August where I was like, damn, if I just cut out Monday, I would in this week and I would just have seven thousand dollars that would not be just given back to the market. And I was like, that is not I'm never letting it happen again. And that's so there were three days this week where I only made two trades, one buy, one sell. And, uh, you know, I ended up green on those days where it was just like totally bloody. And I think just going totally different just is such a big thing for my mental state. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to keep the mental state in check and you can't get, you know, not only the monetary factor, but it's the psychological. You know, I mean, at, at this point, you know, some days I'm pissing away Ferraris. But, um, but you know, it's keeping that mental in check that that they're numbers and that you're scaling up. And even though it's your biggest red day, you also just had your biggest green day. Yeah. And it's things like that, keeping that in mind. Okay. We got we got two more. We're gonna do these quick. One, when to cut times or when to cut ties versus when to diamond hands. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I think it comes back. I mean, I really I don't like those trades. But I think again it comes back to knowing why you're holding it, uh, you know, why you're holding it, what's your risk, things of that nature. But when does it when does it go different? Like what could you give an example of Vissel? I mean, I'm not riding down with any stock. cutting ties. Okay. Oh, I'm I'm I won't be cutting ties with okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 I understand now. A lot of people ask about my stop loss, and I don't have a stop loss on but what I do is is that I have so my bad cat. If if it comes out with a bad catalyst, let's say like a stock offering with warrant, then I'll usually be done with it. If it comes out with you know a short report uh, and, and they're claiming fraud, and I read the short report and I'm like, oh shit, like like that's a shell company, I'm done with it. If it comes out with a now on the flip side, a lot of people ask what's your what's your price target, and I don't usually give price targets. If I do, they're based on the chart, but I you know they're obviously loose, um, you know, and it depends. Usually I'll cut some if it's the, it, when the news comes that I'm waiting for. So that's kind of like my stop loss is kind of bad news catalyst. Um, so for instance, like, you know, if a merger doesn't go through or, or a Vissel, Vissel comes out as a shell company, things of that nature, that would be when I, when I would be done with stop loss. And, and then it gets to a certain point where I'm, if I'm holding this bag for, you know, let's call it like five months. Then it gets the opportunity cost, and, and and at a certain point, I'll say, okay. For instance, uh, GHSI last two Aprils ago, uh, last April, yeah, we were waiting for that news forever, and so finally got to a point where I was like, you know what, time to move on. 
Yep. Okay, and the very last one, and I like how opportunity cost is one of the last things we talked about in the last one because I think it's big here. Matthew wants to know what to do if you're still in swings and only have a small amount of cash in the account. Keep holding or sell and hope for a bigger dip? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. A lot of people run into that. Um, you need to have more than 5% in cash. Uh, you know, make a systematic rule. If you're a day trader, you need to have you know, and you go cash at the end of every day, intraday, you need to have 30, 40% cash, maybe even 50% cash. Um, as a swing trader, we said, you know, I 35, 40% is usually what I do. So it, uh, if you are inside that situation where you don't have a lot of cash, you need to look at your opportunity cost. Where can your money be used better? And and then I would scale some of that position, especially if you're up green on it. You know, if you're up, you know, 50, 60%, if you're up 50, 60% and you don't know when the news is coming, maybe that's a sign to scale out a little bit. Uh, and, and it comes back to the questions that we talked about earlier. Um, so if I were you, I would look at all your positions, lay out the DD, lay out your plans, and then you need to scale some back. It, it comes down to you have to have some cash. Yeah, I think going forward, hopefully one thing was taught, take gains, have cash, two very important rules And with that, I say, cue hit the outro. All right, guys, that's it for Pennies Going and Raw this episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. If you guys did enjoy this or any of our other episodes, please give us those five stars. It helps us out a lot. Our next goal is to get 5,000 reviews. Isn't that crazy? I feel like we were just at 500. So thank you guys. Like, comment, tell us what you didn't like, and uh, tell us how we can make this better or what you loved. Thank you guys. See you next week.